0: Gero Nurses, Tales from the Front is made possible thanks to support from the Center for Education and Research on Aging at the University of the Fraser Valley and the Gerontological Nurses Association of British Columbia.
1: Greetings and welcome to our sixth episode of Gero Nurses, Tales from the Front. Our guest is Marika Sakamoto a postdoctoral fellow with the Center for Research on Personhood and Dementia at the University of British Columbia. And here are your hosts, two women who believe you should never follow anyone else's path, unless you're lost in the woods, and then, yeah, probably follow that path.
0: Lillian and Shelley.
1: Oh, hello, greetings, and thank you for joining us. I am Lillian Hung, and uh, a
0: general nurse, the president of the um, GNABC, and I'm Shelly Canning. I'm also a Gero nurse. Um, I'm currently the president-elect of GNABC, and I'm also the coordinator of the Center for Education and Research on Aging at the University of the Fraser Valley.
1: And this is Gero nurses. Tales from the front where we want to share the inspirational often very innovative, and some of the unique stories, interesting experience from gerontological
0: nurses. So today, we're really excited to have Dr. Mariko Sakamoto as our guest for this episode. Mariko's practice background is in home care nursing, and she's also completed her doctorate at UBC, UBC. and her research work there was focused on people who are ALC or alternate living of care or alternate level of care in the hospital. Um, she's currently a postdoc where she's also working on dementia research. And um, yeah, we're really excited to have you here, Mariko, and, and hear your story. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a real pleasure to be here. Oh, hi, Mariko.
1: Hi. Oh, excited to have you here, a friend and a colleague. Thank
0: you so much for joining us. To begin, we'd really like to hear about your entry into Gero Nursing, or or what what brought you or or led you into Gero Nursing, Mariko?
2: That's a really good question. And uh, I think maybe, as with a lot of us nurses, it kind of just happened by accident, um, when I graduated from UBC many years ago as a brand new nurse, my very first job was in an extended care facility uh, out at UBC at Pretty Pavilion. And um, at the time, it was the, the only job that I was able to get. And it turned out to be a really fortuitous thing because I got the opportunity to work with uh mostly older adults and really realized that there was important work to be done. Um, You know, very shortly after that, I actually entered into the community because that's where I always wanted to work. But... um, A nice thing about entering that field was that I was able to continue working with older people because a lot of our clients in home health are older adults. Uh, Many of them live with a lot of different types of chronic conditions like dementia. And so it seemed like it was um, uh, a good link to what I had been doing in uh, extended care. Wow.
1: I wonder, you have a story, a tale to tell us that someone that you... Remember vividly that you care for in that first job?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually do. Um, I remember we had uh, a lady, a resident, he was living there who uh, lived with very advanced dementia. She was in a wheelchair and she was mostly nonverbal. So um, it was challenging to get to know her. And I think it was challenging for her to to explain herself and get to know others in her environment. And what would happen is she would get frustrated really easily. And, um, you know, she was kind of labeled as the aggressive lady, which was really a shame. And one day I was going through her chart uh, and decided to flip through it a little bit more. And I found uh, a document that had been put in there. It was um, her living will, and she had written it herself. And I was really taken aback and, and you know, I, I have to say, I was a very young woman at that time, a brand new nurse, um, still discovering the world and um, understanding where I fit into it. And I was really amazed at reading this woman's words because this was the person speaking to me in her words. It was her writing. It was a handwritten document, and I really realized that that was who that woman was—not the the lady that we would you know wheel to the special table to be fed with the other people who were maybe quote-unquote, hard to take care of. That was the real person. And it um, without realizing, it, I think that really um, laid a foundation for how I would approach working with other human beings, um, especially those who might have trouble communicating or, um, you know, making their desires known or being able to communicate, you know, when we think of, of people who live with dementia, right? So, that's my story and, and something that affected me really early on and I've never forgotten about it
0: so it it sounds like that was sort of your moment to really see the the person and and not the disease or or what you know we we all think of now when we're talking about person-centered care but at that time maybe that wasn't in your mind
2: yes and and that's my kind of um stress the 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 reality that I was a really young person then, you know, you're you're kind of self-absorbed, you're also maybe not so confident because that was my very first job. Um, but yes, it, absolutely Shelly, I think it really laid that groundwork for kind of thinking that maybe I had to look at
0: things differently um, when I worked with other people. So when you you took that thinking into the home care setting, which isn't isn't focused cleanly on aging, although we all know there are many older people and many people living with dementia in that population. How did you take that person-centered thinking into your first work as a home care nurse? Mm, That's a really good question. I
2: think that, um, one of the interesting things I should say about working in, in people's homes is that the fact that that, that this person is another human being and that they, we call our our patients clients in in home health because um, it's just the way it's always been in, in community care. So I think already that, you know, turns a switch on in terms of how a nurse might interact with clients in the community, you know, you're entering their home, you're entering their space. So already there is a person centeredness to the environment. However, having said that, um, you could still be a nurse. You might not practice that way, despite being in someone's own home. Um, but for me, I was hyper aware of the fact that I was in uh, a locale, and environment that um, that I was a guest in. <laughs> uh, so different than working in a hospital or in um, in a care home. And I love that. It was. It's. Uh, I've I've always been a huge uh, uh, proponent of community health nursing. It, it was a wonderful career and. Um, uh, if anyone hasn't tried the community who might be listening to this, do try it out because uh, there's uh, lots of good work to be done there. Um, but to go back to what you were saying, Shelly, yeah, I think just being in someone else's home really helped that. And and while it's true, not everyone is an older person. Not everyone living with is living with uh, dementia in terms of our community clients. Many of them live with all kinds of really challenging conditions. Um, and in all ages of people. So, I always tried to, thinking about what I had learned in, in, um, in my first job, to to remember that. So, you know, there's always lots of family in people's homes, and it could be really easy just to talk to family members, especially if you have a client who has trouble community, uh, communicating. So, so, I would take that kind of person-centered um, perspective and approach by always trying to just focus on the person, on the client.
1: So I wondered. Um, so you you are the person that you didn't go straight into PhD by finishing, you know, your undergrad and master, and then went straight to PhD. You actually work in. You have a rich experience, clinical experience. Can you say a little bit about like why doing a PhD? Was it like some of the clinical experience that you had that uh, in the earlier part of your career that? Um, drive you, drove you to have that interest? What what motivate you to go um, to do your PhD? And yeah, tell us a little bit about your PhD as well. Oh, thanks, Lillian.
2: Yeah, getting to the PhD, uh, for me, that was a really interesting meandering journey. I never, ever thought I would have a doctorate or have an advanced degree like this. Um, when I was a high school student, I was a very mediocre um, <laughs> student. I actually did a, a Bachelor of Arts in English literature before I got into nursing. So even my um, journey to becoming a nurse took a bit of time. Um, when I finished my nursing degree, I I did work for many years. You're correct in that, Lillian. Um, and, you know, I I was really lucky because I had the opportunity to gain all kinds of different types of experiences, mostly in community. But as a as a home care nurse and a case manager, um, as a clinical uh, nurse educator, I, there was all kinds of interesting opportunities that I was able to pursue over the years. Um, but one of the things that that pushed me to to do a, a master's, first of all, was my mother, who uh, was always a um, big uh, cheerleader for me. Uh, <laughs> she she actually, uh, she's passed away now. She's been gone for almost 10 years. So, she had a master's in sociology and she loved to write. And, and she always encouraged me to kind of pursue different things. And so, as a working nurse, I have to admit that I, you know, it's, it's a hard job to do nursing for all the nurses who are listening. They know that it's hard on your body. It's hard on your soul. And over time, I decided I wanted to try different things. And one of the ones was that I, I wanted to share my experience as a nurse and, and go into teaching. And so, you at the time, you needed a master's degree to do that. So, that's kind of what headed me in that direction. But as I was doing my master's, I discovered research and writing um and so the day that I finished my my master's thesis and defended it, I went out for lunch with my supervisors and I said to them, what would it, what would it mean? What would it take to do a PhD? I literally thought about it in that moment and and there you go. I, I came home from that um experience and told my husband and my kids that I was thinking of doing a PhD and they were kind of uh taken aback. <laughs> um as I said, no one, including myself, most of all myself, ever thought that that would happen. But here we go. You know, I, I've just finished my, my PhD this past December. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that I did it. So that was a meandering explanation, speaking of a, a long journey to a PhD.
0: Well, I'm yeah, I'm thinking that uh, it resonates with me a bit, Mariko, um, and, and I think probably Lillian too, It when you think about nursing, it's not, um, the journey to a, a doctoral degree is not necessarily the same as some of the, you know, say a bench science where you kind of move quickly through a bachelor's, master's yeah. and PhD. Um, so, I, I, I'm thinking about that rich clinical experience that Lillian pointed out and how do you think that impacts or influences you now as an advanced practice nurse as a as a scholar what what does that add to the way you now can enact your the rest of your career as as a phd looking at perhaps teaching new nursing students or new nursing researchers how does that clinical experience impact what would it be like if you didn't have it mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: well, you and I have had discussions about this kind of idea in the past, Shelley. Uh, it's something that, that I think about a lot, certainly, because uh, you know, the, there's something about being a nurse that, especially when you have a lot of experience, sometimes you just know what to do. And I know that's kind of a, a bizarre thing to say for those who may not be in nursing, but perhaps you know, in whatever discipline or area of work someone is in, they might know what I mean in terms of having that rich experience and just being able to be in that moment, be able to take that um, that nursing knowledge, that clinical knowledge, but also being able to interact in a way that you know accounts for the person that you're working with, your patient, your client, whoever it is, the family. Um, so there's 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 a kind of understanding that an experienced nurse has that I think is really important when you think about nursing scholarship um, or education. Like being able to take that, that depth of knowledge and being able to share it with others, whether it's in the type of research you do and the way that you write, drawing on that experience or uh, in, a, in a mentoring type of relationship when you're working with, uh, with students who are wanting to be nurses. Being able to share that and being able to know where they're at because you've been there. Um, I, I for one really think that um, an experienced nurse has a lot to offer when it comes to nursing scholarship and, and the nursing world of academia. I think it's really important.
0: I'm going to jump in with one more question. Sorry, Lillian, but as you're talking, it's not lost on me that you have another superpower, Mariko. Um, I have seen how well you you present at conferences and, and you're an artist as well as a nurse, So I'm I'm thinking about, you know, I know for me as an audience member, the fact that you're an artist um, allows you to do certain things. So have you kind of thought about what your that arts side of you, how has that played into the way you've enacted in your career, whether in in practice, the way you approach the patient at the bedside or maybe as a as a scholar? Oh, I love that you
2: say that, like, because I never think of myself as, as an artist. And oh, you know, I do, <laughs> and I and it's it's very kind. I feel very honored that you say that. Um, I I do um, the word um, art in practice certainly resonates with me in terms of the art of nursing, um, and and again that that kind of goes back to what I was just talking about being able to take you know political knowledge and uh, experience and, and, and different ideas and, and being able to enact that relationship with, the, with another person when you're helping them when they're vulnerable. Uh, it's, a, it's a really beautiful thing. And, and there is an art to it, for sure. Uh, in terms of art and scholarship, that that's something that maybe I should be exploring. I don't know. Uh, um, I do like to I I do enjoy the writing process and I have used some poetry in, um, in my work um, as well as some drawing. So I don't know, Shelley, I'm not sure if there, there is a place for that, but I suppose there's always different ways of of expressing um, oneself and, and sharing ideas. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for bringing that up.
1: So, um, I want to ask another question about um, uh, about your PhD, and uh, you did a very important piece of work to look at ALC. And um, I know that as a nurse, that uh, any general nurses know, you know, that it's uh, a very important issues. And you, you I wonder, if you can tell us a little bit about your yeah, your your findings, and you know, and how um, you. Um, Seeing from um, from the patient's perspective, like like what are some of the, the issues, and and also looking at the findings, like what you're hoping um, to do in your next step. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, yeah. I was I I did do a project um, that involved uh, patients who were in hospital who had that designation of alternate level of care (ALC). Um, and who also have a a dementia diagnosis. So so ALC patients who, for those of you who aren't aware um, of that designation, they're they're patients who come into the hospital um, because maybe they've had an infection or they've had a fall at home. Something brought them in, some type of acute reason brought them in. Um, And the the hospital is there, you know, the acute care system is there to deal with that, to to fix the problem, quote unquote. Um, But sometimes what can happen, and actually more and more, this is a frequent issue in our hospital system is that um, our older patients who, who maybe have other complicating factors in their life, like a dementia diagnosis, just don't do very well in the hospital. And while the infection might be resolved or the injury that they may be incurred because they fell down at home is, is doing okay now, they can't go home. And it, it's usually a, there's a lot of complex factors that lead to that, that um inability to return to their home environment. But, but what happens is then they, they get this diagnosis of alternate level of care, meaning that they don't have acute care needs anymore. They're not an acute care patient. They're There's something else. They're this alternate type of patient. And they they end up staying in our, our hospital system on a nursing unit with other patients for long periods of time. And our patients with dementia who are designated ALC tend to stay the longest, and so, what I wanted to do was to find out what that was like for patients and, and for patients with advanced dementia who can, um, who aren't always in, in you know, um, a, a part of research processes, a part of uh, inquiry and, and discovery because of that diagnosis. Um, and so, what I did is I, I spent um, quite a bit of time on different hospital units um, sitting with these patients. Uh, and observing and, and, and chatting with them um, and talking to them and walking around with them when the, for those who could walk just to see what was happening because I really wanted to bring their voices to the fore, which is, which is challenging for, for, for patients who maybe have um, limited communication abilities because of their dementia diagnosis, you know, where they are at in their, the trajectory of the condition. And so, that was a challenge, but by being able to, to, to observe and try to bring their experiences to the floor as much as possible, I was able to, um, to, um, to demonstrate that that for these, these individuals, staying in hospital for long periods of time is really a challenging experience for them. And so, the, the findings that came out of this work is really that, um, unfortunately, Their condition overall, their well-being mentally and physically deteriorates um, as they wait. And I should mention, many of these patients are waiting for a care home bed to come available and can wait for many, many weeks, sometimes many months in our hospital system. And their overall health declines. And what was, maybe it shouldn't have been surprising, but what was surprising for me was that this was kind of expected. People weren't surprised. Other nurses, physicians, the healthcare team teams, like, well, what, what do you think is going to happen? They're sitting around waiting. They're going to get worse, and it was expected. And they dealt with it. But part of the problem, you know, this, these are the types of problems, these kind of wicked problems that kind of grow and grow, is that the these 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 people, these patients, would um, get more confused. So then they would. Um, Become what we might call aggressive. Um, They would get labeled as such. They would be medicated. They would be restrained. And then the things just kept snowballing, right? So then they were walking around less. They were getting less mobile, and their overall physical condition would continue to deteriorate. Uh, So, they were really, um, the ALC patients, especially those living with complex conditions like dementia, are um, what I was calling liminal patients. They're patients kind of stuck in this in-between phase. And as nurses, we were failing to recognize that they actually were in an important transition in their lives. And there were actually things we could be doing for them to help maintain their abilities, to help keep them healthy and, and feeling well, and that we weren't doing that. So, yeah, I guess that's all I'll say for now about um, about that topic. I'm quite passionate about it because I, as a, as a nurse working in the hospital at that time, I was a transition nurse. That was one of my other roles. Um, I noticed these patients and that's what kind of started this process.
0: I'm, I'm always kind of struck by the language that we use and how that plays out and, um, you know, having we've all been nurses for a long time and we've seen labels change over time. Um, but those folks that you're talking about, even just by virtue of the label alternate level of care, they're seen within the system as as different and and different in a not good way. It mm-hmm. seems to me that's kind of what the attitudes of the doctors and nurses you, you know, you, you were speaking of kind of suggest that. So I'm wondering. How do we change that? How do we, as long as those folks are going to be in acute care, is there a, a, a way to flip the switch? Um,
2: yeah, well, I think what you're asking speaks to kind of larger issues when we think about stigma and discrimination and ageism, you know, how we value older people. In our communities and in our healthcare system, especially um, adults who, who have, um, have a dementia and and maybe you know are really struggling in their environment and act out in ways that are really challenging for us as as nurses and as healthcare professionals but I, you know flipping that switch in terms of realizing that there's good reasons why people are getting upset or striking out or yelling out because they don't know what's happening we're not um, approaching them in ways that, that can help them understand what's happening. Um, but that is a really it's an excellent question. And I don't have an easy answer to it because as many of us do realize it, it is a bigger issue. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I think, you know, a lot of the work that I'm interested in doing and that I'm a part of right now is, is about kind of, of, um, of helping to, to bring forward the fact that people with dementia live with a lot of stigma and discrimination. I mean, that's one of the, the people who, who live with this condition have said that is their number one research priority and their number one policy priorities is eliminating stigma and discrimination. And we do practice in discriminatory ways as nurses, not just with our older adults, but it is a, it is a problem.
1: Well, I couldn't help to ask you to tell us a little bit more about the current work that you're doing. And uh, it sounds really interesting about working with people with dementia together. And Yeah, I'm, I'm
2: really lucky. I, I was able to secure a, a one-year postdoc when I finished my PhD um, through my most excellent and our most excellent supervisor, Dr. Alison Finney. Um, she's a part of a project um, that she she's able to link me up with uh, Dr. Deborah O'Connor, who is a uh, a professor of social work at ubc and they have a project going on right now that's funded by cihr that is actually looking at um social citizenship in practice what does that mean Um, uh, and this project has kind of morphed into um, um combating, I guess, I don't know if that's the best word, stigma and discrimination. And it's a very, very inspiring and interesting project because it's it's using a research approach called participatory action research, um, which means that the, the folks who are a part of this project, uh, people we would normally call participants in other types of research projects, are really driving um, the discovery process. They're, they're people who live with dementia. They're not just participants. They, they are researchers. They are helping to develop the knowledge Um, They are involved in every step of this this research study. And an interesting outcome that's coming out of it is a toolkit that that the group is in the process of of developing, which is going to live on a website um, and accessible to people living with dementia, as well as other people in the community, folks like us, uh, academics, as well as healthcare professionals, um, other members of the public that people can go on this website, go through this toolkit and really learn what it means to to, to live with dementia, to experience stigma and discrimination because of that diagnosis and and challenge us to think about ways that we maybe have been um, contributing to that without knowing it and and, and showing us different ways that we can uh, interact in our communities so that that we are not um, discriminating against Folks, you have a dementia diagnosis.
0: That sounds really great, um, Mariko. And you have to definitely let us know because I know at UFB Sierra, we would be delighted to post that link on our website. Um, it's it's much needed work. I, I'm thinking again though, about the idea of Participatory action, so inviting, including people living with dementia as as real time research members of the research team. Um, what what are some of the ethical considerations that you need to to think about in terms of of working with um, in people with dementia as as participants, and how does that change when they become participants who are also members of
2: the team. Yeah. I'm not sure if this addresses your question directly, but maybe not so much ethical challenges, but, but challenges as, um, as a researcher. And, you know, I think challenges that a lot of us have as nurses also deal with, or maybe don't realize that, that um, are part of our practice is that issue of power. (laughs) Um, you know, as as nurses, we have have a lot of power in our work because often we expect patients to listen to us. And if patients don't, we'll say things like, oh, they're not compliant. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, they're difficult, right, Lillian? And um, certainly as a researcher, you know, all of us who do engage in research know that we have a lot of power as well. And so, an interesting thing is when you're working in a as part of a, a PAR, a participatory action research project, there, there's a real slip in that. And it's um, it's kind of revelatory as a researcher to kind of think, okay, right, hang on a second. You know, like it's, it's not my project. Um, you know, these aren't my findings. Um, I'm, I'm an agent in this to help this process come about, but um, this is a shared endeavor. And in fact, I'm kind of in the background, like researchers are in the background. So it's not so much about ethics, but more about um, realizing that, that we can take a step back and allow um, things to be discovered and even allow, you know, like we struggle, I guess for me, it's a struggle with, with like terms and, and ways of doing things that, that really challenge the norm when it comes to, to research. And yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, Shelley.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, completely and I, I, I'm glad you brought up that piece about power. Um, we have it. sometimes we we enact it. sometimes we don't realize we have it and we, we miss that that opportunity. Working with people living with dementia though, they bring a different, um, they they bring some different challenges to research as a vulnerable population. Um, and I, I think I was kind of thinking about, you know, some issues of historically, we haven't included vulnerable populations easily in our research. We've done research about them to mm-hmm. them, but maybe if you could speak to, I, I don't know, the... Um, you know how did that kind of move how 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 has that been you know how has that been facilitated I guess through research? what kinds of ways of understanding vulnerability but also ability um, mm-hmm. because we we've, we've been able to incorporate this vulnerable population in a really meaningful way in research like you're engaged in
2: mm-hmm. yeah I mean i I that's an interesting word vulnerable. Um, and it's one we use a lot, you know, when we write ethics applications, we, we might say this is a vulnerable population, etc. I, I, I believe that the members of our study, so they're, they're an action group, which fits in well with the participatory action, uh, <clears throat> philosophy of this project. I think, I think they would, um, disagree and say they, they are not vulnerable people. And, um. So, I do think there are still some, a lot of, I'm trying to think of what a good word would be, but um, dissonance in terms of, you know, how we might be trying to get projects approved by using kind of language of vulnerability when um, the people, the folks that, that we want to work with would very much vehemently oppose to that type of language. So, there are some, ten- there are definitely tensions there. And I think that there, there's, there's movement in that. Um, you know, Lillian and I were just having a conversation about ideas of, of collective, um, I, can't, I can't remember the term you were using, Lillian, but collectively working together. Um, I've seen interesting terminology around um, things like collective autonomy, um, shared vulnerability. So kind of um, growing that that lens that, you know, we're all vulnerable, you know, in different ways into not just kind of, uh, infer that one group because of a diagnosis is more vulnerable than others, but sort of acknowledge- acknowledging that, sure, there's going to be challenges um, and, and difficulties, um, as there always will be when we engage in complex work. It makes it almost more worthwhile to, to engage in, right?
0: Yeah, it, it really strikes me that you're getting at the heart of, of seeing how stigma has played out. Um, over and over and over and we hold different populations back and we've held people with dementia back for a long time but their voices are definitely getting louder um and again it's through research like the kinds of research you are doing so it's exciting to see where it will go um yeah it's very very interesting and i like you said
1: that about you know the challenging the, the norm and, uh, the term that we use, the language you use in like vulnerability. And I know you talk about frailty as well. But that's also another term that, you know, if you ask a person with dementia or like, I, they may not think they're frail. Right. And, now uh, we often, you know, when we spend the time actually ask the question and listen to people. And, um, there are really interesting, um, Invaluable perspective and things that we can learn. Yeah, and uh, yeah, this is really really interesting. And uh, thank you so much for coming to talk to us, uh, Mariko and um,
0: Shelley. Yeah, it was really really great. Uh, I I think you had probably lots of things to talk about that maybe the average geront nurse hasn't really thought about, and hopefully some of those folks working in acute care with ALC patients might take a, a slightly different lens. Um, so we'd like to thank everybody for taking the time to listen today. And if you can think of someone that we should chat with on an upcoming episode of Jero Nurses, Tales from the Front, please email us at lillian.hung at ubc.ca or shelley.canning at UFV.ca. So until our
1: next episode, we hope you all stay safe and stay healthy. So talk to you soon again.
0: And that's the
1: show.